it's, it's like a shock, you know, to write a $25,000, $50,000 check um, into something that's simply on a napkin uh, type of idea. When my family, like when we were younger, we didn't earn our entire year $20,000. Welcome to the Vitalize Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, the Director of Marketing here at Vitalize Venture Capital. On today's episode, we have Eva Ho, who's a general partner at Fika Ventures. Prior to Fika, Eva was a founding GP at Sousa Ventures. She's a serial entrepreneur and founder, most recently a founding executive at Factual, a leading location data provider in Los Angeles. Prior, she was a senior product manager at Google and YouTube for five years. Prior to Google, she was the head of marketing for Applied Semantics, a company that sold to Google in 2003. She also co-founded Navigating Cancer, a health startup in 2008, which is now based in Seattle. She's active in the nonprofit sector, serving on the boards of California Community Foundation and First Descents. And she's also a founding member of AllRays. Let's dive in. Eva, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Justin. I'm so looking forward to this conversation with you. Yeah, there, your career, you've gone a lot of different places, done things on the founder executive side, done things on the investor side. And where I want to start with, though, is launching Fika Ventures. How did that come about? What did you have in your mind as the vision for what Fika was going to be? Uh, thank you for that question. Um, yeah, it's been a, it's quite a curvy road um, to the investing side of the world. Uh, my first fund was actually Sousa Ventures, which some of you might be familiar with up in San Francisco. Um, had a great time there and really decided to return home. Uh, LA is my home. Um, I'm so grateful for Los Angeles for so many things. I mean, it really is the place where my sort of tech career began. Um, and so I wanted to reinvest in this community um, and what we saw, my partner TX and I, when we started talking, was while there are some that while there were some great funds here, um, there was still a gap in the early stage for a fund that was run by an operator, um, a fund that was very focused on enterprise software. I mean, back then, five years ago, uh, and certainly be, before that, I mean, LA was known more for media, entertainment, consumer; uh, those were natural sectors. But I think. Uh, enterprise software and SaaS and cloud and all these things, uh, AIML, were, was not really synonymous with the city. Um, and we wanted to do more here uh, and really be a very sort of builder's first type of fund. Um, so TX and I decided to come together and start FICA in late 2016. And it's been a great ride so far. Yeah. And you recently announced another big fundraise that you almost basically tripled your assets under management. Take me through like just mentally how you're thinking about now you've got much more capital under management. I know from your other interviews you've done, where you came from, your background growing up. Just take me mentally how you feel about where the position you're in now. I'm really curious. Justin, it's it's a place I never thought I would be or we would be. Um, you know, I think because of my background, and thank you for doing the research. You know, I I come from uh, a background as a refugee, an immigrant, and very very low income family. Um, and non-English speaking, you know, again, parents who have no uh, understanding of finance, never bought a stock in their life, you know, put cash, you know, underneath their mattress type of people, uh, no exaggeration there. So to go from that sort of, uh, you know, sort of development in psychology around money to today, um, where the, uh, where we're running and managing, you know, a large, a large pool of money and making decisions that are high in risk, 
uh, is definitely a psychological shift that and mindset that I've had to get used to. Um, and uh, it's been it's been a learning process. That's why I think I'm so keen on helping folks who um, have not grown up in the traditional uh, with the traditional backgrounds to enter this industry because it's extremely hard. It's taken me eight years. I'm still not sure I'm good at it, but I'm working hard at the craft. Um, you know, I started in 2013. And back then, writing my first angel check, and you know, Gil and I have talked about this. Um, uh, it was it's like a shock, um, you know, to write a twenty five thousand, fifty thousand dollar check um, into something that's simply a napkin on a napkin uh, type of idea. When my family, like when we were younger, we didn't earn our entire year twenty thousand dollars, right? So to say, hey, you know, like this guy pitches me for, or gal pitches me for thirty minutes, and I'm going to write this check um, seems just it, it's such a strange um, way to think and see the world. And so I had to, over the last eight years, get myself more comfortable um, <laughs> in really studying this craft, learning from some of the best folks out there uh, and keep refining and honing it. Because it's not something that I was, you know, I was born sort of into the, I was not born in being comfortable with it, to be frank. Um, and over time, I've really have learned a lot and in trying to improve every day. But yeah, but it's, it's really an interesting ride. And I, sense folks who are trying to jump into the industry from sort of uh, different, really different backgrounds. It's quite the leap. Uh, so having good people around them, having infrastructure, having mentors um, is so important. And I'm grateful to have had those people along the way to help me. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up. And I wanted to ask that because it is this shift psychology, psychological shift of like, you're going from this place if you haven't invested before and you might have money now you'd never had before. How do you start? Because you think people are hearing about how this generational wealth is built in startups and it's kind of the wild, wild west in terms of people not understanding where to get started, what this looks like. And that was why we launched Biolize Angels to help more people get in this asset class that typically wouldn't be able to with a thousand dollar check, which is a much different thing than what you mentioned with 25 or $50,000 $50, checks are much more unattainable for most people. But now with crowdfunding and other regulations we have, we're seeing it open up a bit more, which is amazing and will allow more people access. One thing you mentioned earlier, starting in 2013, angel investing, take me through that side of things. Like how did you first get started angel investing? Because you were an operator, crushed it for many years, but then the angel investing side, how did you get started there, Eva? Yeah, I, I um, had a good friend, Seth Berman, who kind of pushed me, like shoved me into it. Uh, I was very uh, sort of hesitant. And I, you know, in terms of writing my first couple of checks, uh, I was very lucky that the first couple of checks were good experiences. One of one of them was into a company that he brought me called Nest. Um, so, you know, I think that also sets the tone for folks who are jumping in, because if your first couple of investments, say you do five and they turn out to not be positive, that also leaves sort of a certain impression and taste that you may not want to do more. So I was quite fortunate that the first couple of investments were a positive experience with the founders, a positive experience in terms of, of outcomes. Um, and that kind of got me started. Um, and I was lucky also, and some people don't have this privilege, that my last companies were backed by really great VCs that I looked up to. I don't think I ever wanted to be an investor growing up. And I always saw the investing community as this sort of you know, ivory tower um, place that's very, you know, the sort of Goldman Sachs type of <laughs> feeling. And I was never drawn to that world, you know, just because of how I grew up. Um, but when I got to work with people from Andreessen Horowitz, which is one of the funds that backed this factual, seeing how Ben Horowitz worked and others in, on his team, I was like, oh, 
you know, you could actually do this craft with a lot of heart um, and a lot of sort of and being very mission oriented. Um, and I saw the impact of Andreessen as they were building their firm as I was start as we were building Factual. So I saw yeah. some of the best of the best. And I'm like, oh, it's not what I thought it is. Um, and I could try to do that. If I didn't have that exposure, I would probably have been stuck thinking, you know, VCs were a certain a certain way, a type of people and a, tr- yeah. a type of job that I did not want. Um, so I was very lucky that I was exposed to some of the best and it got me thinking, oh, I started doing these angel things. I was like, well, maybe I want to do a bit more. Um, and, you know, my friends, Seth and Chad and Leo, we came together as just a band of friends who moved from doing angel investing to something that's a little more structured with SUSO One. Um, and we were all basically learning on the job. You know, I think none of us had been doing uh, investing in any institutional way. Um, but we encourage each other to try and, uh, again, to surround ourselves with really smart people. Um, and that first fund was a really wonderful experience and allowed me to set the foundation to do something bigger uh, later on with with Vika and with TX. Yeah. One thing I want to pull out of what you just mentioned is representation matters a lot in terms of people being able to see it's possible. And what we're seeing now with, you know, more people getting into the venture side and trying to diversify venture a bit more, even like people come to mind, like Charles Hudson at Precursor, like Marlon Nichols comes to mind, like these people who have done a really great job and like they're showcasing what's possible. And then on the other side, more women getting into venture. I mean, I joined Vitalize. A big part of it was because it was a women led firm because I didn't want to join a male-led firm, honestly, because I wanted to kind of go on the other side of things. And so that was a huge reason why I joined. So I love that you mentioned that and like representation in VC, people can see it's possible. Little kids grow up and see it's possible. They want to go on that career path, whereas they may not have 10, 15, 20 years ago, which I love to see that side of things too. The other part I want to pull out is you mentioned like learning and growing from different mentors and all of that side of things of learning educating yourself as an investor What's helped you? How have you progressed and gotten better as an investor? I'm just thinking of all the potential investors listening who are like, how do, where do I begin? You know, how do I even get started? How, I be, how do I become better? What helped you improve, you think, as an investor? I think a lot of it was when I was starting was recognizing that coming in as an operator brings a lot of strengths, but it also brings some baggage. Um, <laughs> and doing my best and not obviously and often not perfectly, um, recognizing the baggage from being an operator where you want to get into the nitty gritty of lots of things with your companies. Um, you want to be around the table. Uh, you want to provide very specific advice. Um, there are a lot of things I had to sort of shift from the operator mindset um, and knowing how to bring the good things about the, that role that I did for so many years in, in building companies to now switching to the role of an investor. Um, so that journey, I you know really just read a lot, talked to a lot of folks who made a similar journey and really trying to understand that, um, you know, that sort of career shift. And then once I was in it, I just kept a very open mind and recognizing that I never wanted to be successful in this job because of luck. Um, You know, I think because there's the last 10 years has been such a boom in the industry, Justin, that it actually doesn't take a lot to be somewhat good at it, right? Because there's a lot of capital coming in. There's a lot of innovation. Um, if you're even part of the Silicon Valley, you know, network community, you already have a pretty good advantage. Um, so I could pat myself and say I've done great. But the reality is, you know, th- I was sort of following a lot of the tailwinds that was already here. Uh, but in that tailwind, I was really trying to make sure I was understanding 
the craft that was before me, understanding how to build a smaller team and how do we actually succeed for the long term versus building a fund that rested on one or two big wins. Um, you know, it's pretty easy to get one or two decent wins today, given, again, it's been a very, very strong 10 years, 10, 12 years. Um, but it's hard to do it for you know many decades, and it's hard to build a franchise. And my ambition when I started FICA in 2016 was to build a multi-firm franchise. It wasn't going to be like, well, I'll do this for 10 years. You know, I'm tired of operating, so why not? I'll sit here, I'll collect some fees, you know, I'll deploy some money, uh, and have a great time. Um, I want FICA to live beyond me and TX. Um, so with that in mind, I knew there was a lot for us to learn. Um, There's a lot for us to prove. Um, and, you know, we did it, TX and I did it together, um, but supported by a lot of the giants in the industry that I had so many conversations with, like, how did you think about portfolio construction? Like, how do you think about reserves? Like, I didn't know, uh, you know, it was all new <laughs> to me, uh, but I knew sort of, I recognized what I didn't know, which was a lot, um, but over, <laughs> over, over time, I got more comfortable. Like I, I recognized the things I was really good at, which is, you know, working with founders in the early days and helping them think about company building and all that. And the psychology of founders and motivation, like those things I was very comfortable with, but it's really all the mechanics of building a fund that a lot of people don't appreciate. Uh, that takes more time. Um, and it's not an obvious thing. And I think TX and I were kind of came into it with a lot of humility. Uh, we had great LPs that believed in us and also were great thought partners for us. So through that journey, through a lot of like self-education, working with our community network, working with really smart people, we I hopefully have gotten better over time. With that too, you mentioned some of the mechanics behind it of the fund itself. So take me through like, what do you look at in terms of your portfolio construction at Figa Ventures? And also you mentioned reserves as well. Let's go through that. Like how you look at follow-on versus how your first investment. Take me through some of the, those details too. Yeah, it's been a, a really uh, wonderful evolution in learning and making mistakes. Uh, so we started with fund one that was 41 million. Then 2019, we did a second fund that was 77. And then uh, the current fund is uh, 160. Um, and I think the progression of that was very sort of well thought out for us because we wanted to like walk before we ran. Uh, we wanted to crawl, walk, and then eventually start, you know, skipping. <laughs> I'm not sure if we're running yet. I'm not sure if we're running it yet. But, Trending um, towards running. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I think in that first fund, like we wanted to have a very clear strategy of what we're going after, um, how many, you know, sort of check size, uh, ownership targets, um, taking on board seats, being valuable and really trying to prove ourselves as good partners on the cap table. Like we didn't know whether we could be the best partner, but we're like, let's try to be good partners, reliable partners. So I think in fund one, we're able to prove out with our portfolio that we were, you know, decent pickers a nice cohort of companies, founders thought what the service that we created was valuable. And then we kind of, as we went on, started to earn our way into larger checks, more ownerships, a bit more board seats. Um, and from there, earning our way into, you know, keeping, get, getting to keep our pro rata and being able to participate in follow on rounds. And finally, we were able to close a small opportunity fund in this latest in, as part of this latest uh, fundraise. So it's an, it's a, we didn't rush into it. Like we kind of knew that we had to prove to ourselves, to our, in our LPs that we are, you know, doing things in a thoughtful manner um, before we sort of dove in. And anyways, that's sort of how we got to where we are today is by proving our, the consistency of our strategy and our team being able to take on more 
um, and earning the respect of founders that they are allowing ourselves to have a larger position on the cap table. So that's been the evolution so far. How do you stick to your guns on that that side of things when you like see these valuations rise, you see the changes in the market, you have your plan, and then you see what's happening and things may come in that don't fit your thesis or are outside of it, but a little bit. And then the value is a little higher than you want to. Like, how do you sit to what you're doing or be flexible when the market obviously is changing? How do you go about that, Eva? Yeah, I think it's something everyone is honestly struggling with. Um, you know, Gail and I actually talked about this when I was speaking with her recently. Um, yeah. It is quite an art to know when to stay disciplined and when to make those exceptions and when to make those exceptions uh, you know, not an exception over time. Um, I don't have a perfect answer, but I think, you know, I think you could, you could approach this in two ways. You could be very frustrated today and say, oh my God, the market is crazy. Everything's frothy. Um, everything's expensive and woe is me, right? The more positive way to look at it is all the, all these changes are, most of them are based on very positive tailwinds, right? Which is there's more innovation than ever. Technology has infiltrated every industry globally the borders for becoming an investor have sort of disintegrated. Um, you know, there are many more wonderful investors like you, Gail, and others entering the system. And that is so exciting. So we have much more diverse capital, accessing more diverse people and communities all around the world. So that's what's causing the frothiness, right? And for me, all that is positive, right? And if I take a long-term view and not think about the short-term sort of Oh my God, I'm losing more deals, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And I have to pay out more. Oh my gosh. Um, but if I see the sort of take the long view of where this industry might head, all these things are positive. Um, and I'm okay to play into that. And um, I think the occasions, we're a pretty disciplined fund, but even now we're kind of pushing ourselves more because I think the best investors will say all the great, you know, sort of category defining companies out there seem very expensive when you, you know, at the time that you participated, right? The timing is never, it never feels right. Like it always feels like, <laughs> oh, you should have gotten in a little earlier when it was a little less expensive. Everybody yeah. wants that, right? So, but at the end of the day, it's more about being able to get in period and not really nickeling and diming. Like, did I pay 10% more, 20% more? So a lot of times we are pretty disciplined, but for exceptional founders, exceptional ideas, great sort of ambitious things, um, you know, we will make exceptions today and we're stretching ourselves and we appreciate the market forcing us to stretch, right? Because I think yeah. I would say 10, 15 years ago, being an investor could have been a pretty lazy job, right? You sit, you know, on Sand Hill Road, you know, you look a certain way, you have yep. a pile of money and people come to you, right? And there you are, you're sort of the king of the kingdom. But today, because there's increased competition, you can't be lazy, right? You really have to go out there and really think about your strategy Think about what your competitive advantage is and how and why you deserve to win. Because yeah. it's not like, oh, I have, I'm waving my million dollar check. So thus, you know, Mrs. Mr. Founder, like you obviously take Eva's money. That shouldn't be the case. And the power of it rests with founders today. And I honestly think there's more positive to that um, than negative. Um, so. Yeah, no, I appreciate your, your insights on that. And one thing I'm curious about. So at Vitalize, we invest in the future of work, both out of the Vitalize Angel, Angel community and the fund we have. And you have a few companies in there as well. So like Applied Global being one of those. What are your thoughts around future of work, maybe trends you're seeing or things you're interested in within that space? I'm curious because I can't just not ask you. Uh, I'm curious about anything you have on that, Eva. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so uh, as a correction, we're not in Papaya Global. Uh, oh, uh, sorry. We're in Papaya Payments. Um, 
that TechCrunch yeah. art that TechCrunch article was a, was a miss uh, was a typo. Um, but in terms of future work, I feel sort of the the boundaries have shifted so much, right? Um, yeah. In the past, sort of your employer dictated where you work, how you worked, um, and and sort of that was sort of the construct that you you had to play in. Today, like all the that has changed in I hope in very positive ways where there's a lot more flexibility in how you choose to pursue your career, pursue your passion. Um, and I think that for me is very positive and hopefully all the tools to support that flexibility and the access to really unique global talent um, is, I think, going to be very, very positive. So I'm hoping, you know, COVID, one of the silver linings is that the future of work is going to be, there's going to be a lot more innovation in it. Um, but at the same time, I think as, as we go towards that future, it's going to feel bumpy, you know, and scary uh, because a lot of companies are kind of navigating in the dark and trying many different strategies, whether it's hybrid or not. Um, and people are adjusting and it's going to feel incredibly uncomfortable. Um, but I think there's going to be some great things that come out of it. I'll give one example that a company that Gail vitalized and Fika um, are in that we're so excited about that plays into this is a company called WeCare um, that focuses on childcare. So, you know, as everyone knows, childcare is a catastrophic, you know, it's such a disaster today in America. Um, and people have been trying to solve it for many years. So WeCare is not innovative in that way. But the shift right now is that employers are realizing that they have to participate in solving this problem, um, you know, in order for this to for us to have uh, sort of some progress here, right? We cannot just re rely on the public sector. We just cannot rely on government subsidies and other things, right? The employers have to participate in order for them to attain, attract and retain the best talent. So, you know, what's exciting to see is we are moving into this corporate benefit space, the receptivity of employers, um, you know, they actually go after a lot of, as you know, mid-market employers um, that are in the middle of the United States that are not your typical like fancy tech companies. And these companies that have thousands of employees are saying like, I'm losing the best people. I'm losing women. I'm losing people of color because I cannot provide this very essential benefit. And, you know, that's the hope is, you know, the silver line of COVID is that childcare <laughs> will no longer be a fringe benefit, right? It will be a mainstream benefit. Um, so I think Gail and I are very excited about this company, but that's just one thing. Uh, that's also shifting from a benefit size as it relates to future of work. Yeah. And also just thinking about the war for talent and how do you stand out yeah. and offer more to your employees? I mean, there's so much around that, that I see every day from talking to founders and VCs like, yeah, everyone's trying to hire. Of course, like we're trying to hire. Yeah. I mean, how do you go about getting people to come on your team? Like there's a lot of things you can do. One, it's the culture, of course, and inherently what you're doing and working on, but also what do you give to the employees? How do you take care of them in some capacity? Right. And so it's such an important thing to have that, especially, you know, if you look at like the mom project, one of our investments and doing a ton for working moms and people want to get back into the workforce and say, okay, how do we support more people, you know, in that capacity? And I think, yeah, we care. It's great. I had Jessica, talked to Jessica, not long ago. Uh, she should be on the show soon if it hasn't already released. And then also one thing I have to talk about, I'm really curious about yeah. Screen Door. I talked to Hunter Walk about Screen Door, his involvement in getting started with that. I'm curious for you, how'd you get started with that? Why be involved? I'm curious about that. Yeah. So the credit fully goes to Hunter and Satya um, uh, in coming up with the idea and really, you know, putting the full foundation to that. So I was a, you know, a, a participant after the fact, but I'm so proud of Screen Door. I'm so proud to be involved. I've known Hunter and Satya since our early Google days together. We were actually uh, cube, cube mates, uh, you know, many many <laughs> years ago. <laughs> yeah, um, 
So uh, we stayed friends and sort of watched each other navigating from the operating world. I think all three of us took, you know, somewhat similar journeys. And we always like look at each other like, I can't believe we're investors today. It's such a weird thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, th I think the three of us um, and, and all the people involved, I think we've always been um, had this sort of shared mission that there's so much more to do. Yes. You could pick companies, invest, you could be, there's all that, right? And running a fund and being a top performing fund. That's great. Um, but what else, what else can you do? So I feel so lucky and I'm sure the team of Vitalize feel like to be able to do this and sit in the seat, right? Like, why did I, why do I get to sit in the seat? And if I get to sit in the seat, manage capital and have this influence, um, I get to choose who I fund, you know, and all the great things that come in, like, what else can I do with this? The, the power of this role and screen door is such a great output in that the folks involved, all the GPs and all the LPs felt like, man, if we brought together a great group of folks, uh, we could really work on trying to accelerate the access um, for a lot of emerging managers um, from all over the country and hopefully soon all over the world and allow them to sort of get into the industry a lot faster uh, and not only get into it, but also be super successful in it. Right by having the right infrastructure, having the right mentorship around them, um, and that's really—it's been so much fun because we've met so many great managers that I've never heard of before. And I'm like, yeah. I talk to somebody from you know Indianapolis or Atlanta, and I'm like, I could see this working. I could see you working. I could <laughs> see you being a car, and that's wonderful. You know, that's wonderful. Yep. Um, and I, I really think I hope Screen Door will continue to thrive. Um, it, there's clearly product market fit with that, with that um, vehicle. And I really hope there will be other screen doors out there because I think if they see the success of screen door um, and the talent that we've been able to bring together in the community that we've been able to build that other people like, you know, big LPs are like, Oh, I don't know how to deal with emerging funds. And I can't write to you know, the checks are too small. Maybe they'll see it and say, there are creative ways that you can dive in and get involved in back emerging managers, back funds that are smaller than 100 million. You know, hopefully this will be an inspiration for many more screeners um, to come in the future. Yeah, and I love you mentioned that because we're thinking of the same way in terms of Vitalize. It's like, whatever you do, it, especially when you're leading the way on some of these initiatives, it's like if people can copy the model, then the impact is so much greater than you could ever do on your own. And like you guys are leading the way with Screen Door, which is amazing. And you're hopefully seeing more of these being done, more funds being raised for this, other emerging managers are supported, and diversifying the whole ecosystem. I'm really excited about everything with that. When I first heard it from Hunter and I saw you're involved too, I was like, okay, I'm going to ask Eva too. I'm curious about her yeah. involvement. But I know we're out of time here. Where's the best place for people to learn more about Fika Ventures and connect with you as well, Eva? Yeah, I'm, we're very accessible. I'm just Eva at Fika.vc. Um, so feel free to reach out. I love to, I always love meeting new um, founders, new investors. Um, so yeah, we just, we really, really love the community in LA. Um, and I think whoever wants to participate in this community and be additive, I'm always happy to have a coffee and talk to them. And Justin, thank you for everything you do for you and Gail. Thank you for Vitalize Angels. I think you're on to something really big. Um, and I'm very excited to see what you guys are going to do next. And I'm very excited to hopefully work with you in a week here as a first one. But I'm hoping there'll be many more to come because um, I'm a big believer in what you guys are building. Well, I appreciate that a lot. Thank you so much for the time today, Eva. Have a great rest of your day. Yeah, you too, Justin. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about us, head on over to Vitalize.vc. You can also follow us on Twitter at VitalizeVC. Or you can follow me on Twitter at JustinGordon212.
Have a great day and I'll talk to you in the next episode.